0: We're in the book of Acts chapter 14 again today. It's the same passage that we've been looking at, um, chapter 14. I think the verses are 19 through 28. Verse 19, hear God's holy word. But Jews came down from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. They passed through Pisidia, came into Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they spent a long time with the disciples. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've made us alive to the word, that you've taken out our stony heart and given us a new heart, a heart of flesh, a new spirit. You've caused us to be born again to a living hope. I pray, Almighty God, for my own preaching, that it would be in accordance with your word, and that for all of our listening and hearing, Lord, it would be actively and by faith that we would be keen to hear and to receive all that you have to teach us this morning and knowing, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are here walking among the lampstand of this particular church and that we truly are on holy ground. Be glorified, Lord God, edify your people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you've been with us for the past couple of weeks at least, we've been in this particular passage maybe three or four times we've been here. I can't really remember, but I do remember the main focus of um, the past couple of sermons from this passage. What my practice has been to, to, to do is to look at the main truth that we've been considering, which is to say that the nature of Christ's um, believers or disciples, that we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we exist to 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 serve him and to serve him by serving others and not to be served, as the way the Apostle Peter puts it, is to walk in Christ's Footsteps To imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the life of the Christian. That we exist to bring him glory, which is to say our joy. So that was the main focus. And what we were doing each week is looking at one or two points of our servanthood or servantship uh, by being uh, Christians. And that all of our life is to be devoted to him, de- dedicated to him. So for the Christian, there is no part of our life which is necessarily what I would say, secular or civil. So sometimes we kind of compartmentalize. Sundays I do my religion, and then Monday through Saturday I do non-religion. It's not that way. As Christ's servant, the moment we're born again, to the moment we go to glory, and then forever, everything has a religious uh, reason or context to it. Um, How we eat, how we dress, what we look at, what we listen to, everything is to be Dedicated as an offering unto the Lord, because we're his servants. To use the language of the Heidelberg, which I use all the time. He has purchased us. We belong to him. We're his servants. That was the main focus. Now today, what I want to do, and I don't know whether I'm going to come back to this passage again. There's more here, so, so maybe I will. Um, but I, I want to move from the focus on the individual believer... And I want to look at the concept of the church. The na- what's the title? The, the nature of the church. So from the individual believer to the, the corporateness uh, or the, the, the communal aspect of the Christian faith. And I want to look at what this passage and others teach us about the nature of Christ's church. And I just want to say one word and then we're going to kind of descend into the body of the sermon When we think of the nature of the Christ Church, obviously it's a communal um, idea. From what I hope to preach, I want us all, as members of Christ Church, to see the incredibly high standard uh, that God calls us to, what God will say about us as members of his Church. Sometimes you live up to what People expect of you. If you live in a home where your parents say, this is our name, our name is here. And I want you to live up to the family name, to the family honor. Well, like that, in this sermon, I hope to leave, I don't have a lot of, um, I don't have any really negative admonitions, I don't think. Um, this is very much, I want all of us to leave here being encouraged, as one as believers, and then to live up to the fitness family name, what God has says about us as members of his church. So this is more along the lines of a positive admonition, this is what I am. this is uh, as a member of Christ Church and I want, we want to live in such a way that brings glory and honor to what God already says about us. I want to begin looking at the concept or, or of the church, the nature of the church, with two errors, and they're two kind of counterpart errors on the doctrine of the church that I find commonplace even among professing Christians. We live in very strange times, I think strange times, certainly strange religious times, um, strange moral times. I know every generation thinks, this is the worst generation on the planet. Look around. Um, I think that. Uh, Religiously, I I'm sad to say I think our nation is neo-pagan. I, in some ways, it's post-Christian. I know there's always going to be a church on the earth to, to worship Jesus Christ. We live in strange times. Um, what passes for Christianity in our day, oh boy, it makes me so sad. Um, but there are two misconceptions, errors, about the nature of the church. The first one is this. The first misunderstanding about the nature of the church, which is why this kind of a sermon, I think, is necessary, is, the first error makes more of the Church than God makes. The first error makes more of the Church than God um, does. And along the lines of this, when you hear, well, the Church, or the nature of the Church, the place of the Church, it's very common for people to say this, so, which Church saves? I've been asked that by I don't know how many people. And so you think, well, that's a Roman Catholic question. And certainly the church of my youth, the Roman Catholic Church, will come along and say, well, that's easy. That's, that's an easy question. Um, the Roman Catholic Church, they will say about themselves, we are the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the earth. Uh, the Pope is the true vicar, the substitute of Christ upon the earth. And we are the church that saves. So I would argue, as they state in their doctrine, I'm not making up anything, is that f- for them, God saves through the church, their church. And so historically, they held that you had to be a member. It's changed, but it's not changed that so so much. You had to be a member of their church in order to go to heaven. Now, it's not just Protestants that have said that. I mean, it's not just Roman Catholics. There are so-called Protestants that say things like this. Well, you have to be a member of our particular church in order to go to heaven. Um, Both of those statements are making more of the church than God makes of the church, according to the word. So that's the first error. More of the church than God makes. The second error is the counterpart of that, making less of the church than God makes. And this is very common in broad evangelicalism, and I'm sad to say even sometimes in Reformed churches. So in our context, we're, very, we're less likely to hear a particular church, membership is necessary to go to heaven, but we are, we're likely to hear this next one. Well... This era says well the only thing that really matters is my personal saving faith in Jesus Christ and then a corporate relationship with a body of Christians church membership is not necessary it's just it's 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 irrelevant the only thing that really matters is i have faith in Jesus he's my pal i'm his pal and nothing else matters there's no real necessity there's no Real place for the church. That's making less of the church than the Bible does. I watch religious programming and so on and debates and so on to learn certain things. And I watched a so called Christian debate on this very thing the other day. And I watched a fellow say something like this You ready? I'm going to get close. This is a paraphrase. This is what this fellow said Jesus said nothing about the church. Jesus was only about personal relationship. It was his followers that invented the idea of the church. What do you think of that idea? Beloved, this is one of the reasons why the internet can be great stuff. You can listen to J.C. Ryle's sermons when I paint at the house, or I, do, I work out on my little ski machine. I put on J.C. Ryle, and it is wonderful. So great things can be had religiously on the internet. But horrible things can be had on the internet. Jesus said, so says this guy. Jesus says nothing about the the church. It was just his guys that pulled it out of thin air and they made up the idea of the church. One of the reasons people can say such nonsense and people could believe such nonsense, what's the main reason? Why do people say stupid things like that, which are stupid, they're not true. And people believe stupid, non-true things, religiously. What's the main reason? You know what it is? They don't know the Bible. They don't know the Bible. They're on the internet watching religious stuff and they're not reading the Bible. I go to the internet. I watch religious stuff, but I read the Bible. And so when you're reading the Bible, and someone comes along and says, Jesus never said anything about the Church, you go, wait, wait, wait a minute. Jesus said, He dies for the church. He shed His blood for the church. He says, Jesus says, I will build my what? Matthew chapter 16. You don't have to be a PhD with the Bible. You just have to be a Bible reader. And some goofball on the internet says, The church is meaningless. It's just you and Jesus. You can go, Well, that's not true according to the Bible. And then what should you do? Delete that guy's channel, never to listen to it again. Does that make sense? So the two errors on the nature of the church is making more of the church than the Bible does. I need to, be to, I need to go to this church. I said to a person in my family who was dying about a church that said, stay in this church and you'll go to heaven. And I said, Dad, you need to embrace Jesus. And he said, John, here's the deal. You don't change horses in the middle of the stream. And I said, Dad, you've got to get off that horse. It's going to hell. You see what I mean? But people don't get off that horse because the horse says, we're taking you to heaven. That's more than the Bible. But, beloved, in our context, there are Protestants galore that make nothing of the church. And they're wrong. So the Bible condemns both. Now, we want to be, according to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, we want to be good Bereans. We want to be those people. What does is, what, what is God through Isaiah say in Isaiah chapter 8? To the law and to the what? To the testimony. If they speak according to these, it's because they have a blight. So everything that we believe, our doctrine and our practice, we want to be Bible, Bible. And, I, and I, don't, I don't mean in a stupid way, like if you go to someone's house, where does the Bible say about which fork should I eat from? Let's not be silly. But everything we believe doctrinally, In our practice, let's be able to support it with the scripture. And so let's be a Berean and then consider from here what the Bible does teach us. Our passage is going to teach us about the nature of the church. The first thing I want to recognize right away, look at your passage. We're going to look at 23 and 27, verse 23 and verse 27. The Bible uses a number of different words, both in Greek and Hebrew, to denote the idea of the church. And in our passage, in verse 23 and verse 27, we have the word translated, the church. When they appointed elders, and we're going to get maybe if I have time in the body of the sermon, I hope I do, because this is, I think, an important part about the nature of the church. When they appointed, this is the apostles, when they appointed elders for them, the disciples, in every church, in all the cities that had a church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. Verse 27 When they arrived and gathered the church together, there's so much there about the nature of the church, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. That word right there, and I'm going to butcher, my Greek pronunciation is horrible, my Hebrew pronunciation is even more horrible, but I'll give it my college try. So the Greek there, I do know bitsy Greek. I used to know way more Greek when I got out of seminary, but I'm just not as good as I used to be. But I do know this word. This is ekklesia. Ekklesia. So this word translated church is ekklesia. It's a compound word. Ek is the prefix. prefix, And it comes from the the other word is kaleo, to call out. This is the most common word translated in any of your translations uh, for church. And it's used, it's something like, I don't know, 110, 115, something like that. Maybe 114 specific times. This particular word is used for uh, church. And if there's anybody dispensational in the room, we have a cousin dispensational, Bob. Acts chapter 7, there's a word that's used for the, the people of God, Israel, in the wilderness, and they're called ecclesia. Most translations will say the assembly or the congregation, but the underlying Greek word that the Holy Spirit uses for the Old Testament people of God in Acts chapter 7, wandering in the desert, is ecclesia. is the church. And so there are other translations. We'll say the church of God in the wilderness. So the Old Testament church, New Testament church, ek, Kaleo. out of. So the compound is ek is out of, away from, and then the kaleo is, is to call out. So literally, ekklesia is the called out ones. That's what it means. So when you think, okay, We're looking at this corporate body. What is this corporate body? And you'll see in the sermon, I'm not talking Presbyterian, Baptist, nothing. We're just talking church. The church consists of the called out ones. And I want to get at that out from idea because it's very important. And I would argue that a lot of modern churches are not living up to even that basic definition of what a church is. And what do I mean by that? Look at the context. And what I just read actually, not just what I just read um, from the entire book of Acts is the history, the, the first recorded history of Christ's servants going out with the gospel, doing missionary evangelistic endeavors. And here, what we have in the context is the gospel heralds, the apostles and their helpers, have been going everywhere. Jesus says, go to the nations, Matthew 28. The risen Lord Jesus in Acts 1.8 8 say, go, says, go to Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, and take the gospel everywhere. And so you have these gospel heralds. They're preaching the gospel of the cross. And what are they doing? Yesterday I went to vitamin shop to get my CoQ10, my ubiquinol, to turn myself into, I don't know what I'm doing. I go, I go online, I gave myself an altar, I, got, I, I take all this stuff, you know, WW, turn yourself into completely healthy, and then I'm like, Mona, get me to the hospital. So I'm off at vitamin shop getting my ubiquinol, and there's a guy in front of uh, the vitamin shop, and he's got a placard, you, you, see, you know what I'm talking on Saturdays. And he says, after this comes the judgment. And he's using King James, after this comes the judgment. After death comes judgment, uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 9. And certainly after Christ comes back, judgment. What's the problem with that pass? What's the problem with just having that passage? After this life comes judgment. You just have it up in front of the vitamin shop. What's the problem? There's no gospel in there. (laughs) Well, I agree with that passage. But the Bible isn't, hi, I'm God, you're holy, you're, uh, uh, I'm, uh, I'm holy, you're unholy, and you're all going to go to hell. The, 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 gospel, the Bible is the exact opposite of that. I am holy, you are not holy, but I've made a way. Now come out from your sin. There's no calling out. I don't mean calling out to traffic, you're all going to hell. That's not this. These gospel ministers, were they preaching the law of God? Certainly. Galatians chapter 3, of course. John the Baptist, of course. You brood of vipers. And then what? Make yourself ready for the coming Christ. Believe in him. Yes, repent. But then believe. Just saying you're going to hell is not Christian. It's like telling a guy, if you had the cure for cancer, and he has cancer, hey, you have cancer, you're going to die, and you've got the cure. And just saying you're going to die, that would be wicked. So he's not calling me out. He's not calling anybody out. And what the Gospel of doing is saying this. Come out from your sin. Come out away from the dominion of the devil. O sinner, why will you die? Come out to Jesus. That's that called out. That's the ecclesia. The church, those called out ones, we are those. This is what this body is. This isn't the why. This isn't like... Yes, can you go to bigger churches? Bigger churches can do great things. My daughter belongs to a big church in, Penn, uh, in Georgia. I can't say enough good about it. I pray for Pastor Pete. I pray for Pastor Jeff. These guys are rock stars. They can do great stuff that little churches can't do. But we, we simply don't exist for band class. We don't exist for those things. Now, if you have a band class, good on you. But is the church that you're attending fundamentally this? Is it a body of those who are called out, called away from their sin, called away from the dominion to, to, of Satan, and called to Christ. the called out. That's what the church primarily, fundamentally is. And so as you think of it, and, and sometimes I, sometimes I know what folks think about these matters because I talk to you all and you all talk to me, but sometimes I don't. Every once in a while I get shocked because I'm just assuming we're all on the same page and someone says, oh, but I believe this about the church and think. And so then I, I would ask this question. I think I know the answer. Have, have you personally been called out? And you know what I mean by called out. So the, 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 the called out part is both humanly, instrumentally called out, but then effectually called out. Ha, has someone called you away from your sin and away from serving Satan, and to Jesus. Have you been called by that gospel call? If it was your mom, your grandmother, your dad, have you been called out? And then more than just physically called out or instrumentally called out, has God the Holy Spirit called you out? This This is a Confession of Faith, chapter 10, paragraph 1. Has God the Holy Spirit called you out? away from sin and to Jesus. That's what this entity is supposed to consist of. People that have been born again. So called to Christ by the Spirit of Christ, born again. And then, since we're in a, a communal context in the church, look around. So look around. Do you, with regularity, at least Sabbath to Sabbath, Lord's Day to Lord's way, do you regularly assemble yourself with people that have likewise been called out. So my sister's a Unitarian, my older sister, I love her madly, I love my sister. So if I were to go to her church, it's it's a way prettier building than this. The one that she used to go to was in Sudbury, Massachusetts, which is classic New England, classic New England architecture, it's gorgeous. But is it a body of people that have been called out of sin by the cross of Jesus, and have been called to the blood of Jesus? Is it a body of those people? No, no, not at all. Not at all. So, beloved, when you look around, if you look around and and you say, have you been called out of your sin with the gospel? And they look at you and go, what kind of nonsense is that? That's not a church. That's not a church. And if you look around and say, well, on Sunday I don't see these other people called out because they're probably at a church and I'm at the beach. Mm -hmm. So it's the called out. Now, related to that, I want to look at in this passage. We're just going to unpack the idea of of the nature of the church. So, we're the called out ones. The second thing I want us to say, and I, I, maybe I've mentioned this previously, and it's going to appear silly to you, when you see the guys evangelizing, they're evangelizing human beings. I know it's Saint Francis of Assisi. When you preach the gospel, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, preach, use words. You can live a life worthy of the gospel, but you have to use words to preach the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is propositions about Jesus Christ, his person and his work. You cannot live the gospel. You can live worthy of the gospel, but you can't live the gospel. The gospel is propositional facts about Christ. He's fully God, fully man. He dies for sin. He rises for our justification. You can't live that. You, I hope you stay married to your wife and all of those good things. That would be living worthy of the gospel, but it is not the gospel. And the second thing Francis got wrong is you're not preaching the, you're not preaching the gospel to cats and rats and elephants, to quote my Irish singers, well, I forget those guys that my dad used to listen to. Um, the unicorn, you look up from the rocks in these silly unicorn. Pride. You can't preach the gospel to a critter Gospels, The gospel message of, of Jesus Christ Is given exclusively to human beings There are two moral creatures on the planet And that's angels and men And for angels that left their first estate They sinned against God They're damned There's no hope for the angels that sinned against God None, they'll be damned But there's hope for people that For fallen human beings We are the second a moral creature. We're image bearers, the only image bearer. And for us, there's hope. And the hope is in this gospel call. The hope is in this Christ and to be a member of Christ's church. And just just as an aside, I get lots of publications to read and I got another publication to read and I opened it up this morning for my breakfast and I was going to read it before my devotional material. And it was just some, oh man, it was just on like God doesn't have any mercy on the non-elect. And, and I've read these arguments before. I'm like, oh, man, where's the love, man? I, I, I know the argument. I really do know the argument. Boy, but walking around like, ah, 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 God hates the non-elect. It, ju- it just, uh, I know the philosophical argument. I know the scriptural argument. Um, boy, uh, God saves sinners, I know he saves elect sinners. He saves elect sinners. He saves elect sinners. I'm Reformed. He loves and saves sinners, and he keeps the list to himself. But my point is this. Not only does the church consist of the called-out ones, the church consists of people, of human beings. Um, The church is a a gathering of Christian people for worship and for fellowship. The church is not a building. We've talked about this before. I'm so thankful for this little building. I just mentioned my, my sister's church is prettier. My sister's church is prettier in one way, but I'll tell you another way it's not pretty. There's no Jesus there. <laughs> there's no Jesus there. I went to the Notre Dame of Strasbourg, which was built in the 1600s. Strasbourg sounds like Germany, but it's France. Notre Dame means Our Lady. And there's a Notre Dame on like every corner in, in, in uh, Europe. Notre Dame of Luxembourg, Notre Dame of of Strasbourg, Notre Dame of Paris, Our Lady, Our Lady, Our Lady. And if you've ever been to these places, architecturally, you are like, man, boy, how do you look at this? How many serfs or peasants died to build this critter? Notre Dame, our what? Lady. It's a gigantic explosion in idolatry. In every Notre Dame, you have the Virgin Mary holding the baby Christ holds a little world. Who's holding the world? Mary! And then you have the ascension of Mary into, the, into heaven in the Notre Dame of Luxembourg, like an 80-foot high. It's an explosion to idolatry. It's a, a gorgeous explosion in idolatry. And then when I was in a church in Kaiserslautern, it was a Protestant church built in way late, and it had a pulpit with a bunch of benches and a stone floor, I said, man, this, I could worship here. Because this is a Bible. Beloved, the church is not a building. Protestants get, we we get schnookered into this too. Oh, the church is about the building, the building, the building. Jesus didn't die for the building. The gospel heralds are not going, look at our passage. Are they out shaking down the sheep for more money to build a building? How many people have ever been, been in a church building program? You can't outgive God, give Aunt Tilly's ring, give that boat your uncle gave you. Because we're going to build the church. You're not building anything. It's the minister wanting to feel good about himself because he feels like a schnook and he wants a big church. But the church is not the building. People go to Haiti, they go to these missions all the time, and they leave and they go, man, the church was gorgeous. God, what a beautiful church Christ has in Haiti or Laganav. What are you talking, beautiful church? They don't even have like a hut. Well, you miss the point. When we're talking about the church, we're the called out ones. We're, it's people. We're Americans. And maybe this is true with guys. Guys do this all the time. And I, don't, I can't say this categorically that women are relational and guys are basically non-relational. I can't say that. I want to say that, but I won't say that. Um. I know for me as a guy, I'm kind of like, get her done. Like, I'm just, I got stuff to do. Do, 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 do. And I've ha- I did marriage counseling of a guy may, many years ago, and the wife said, you don't love me, you never say that you love me. And he said, what are you talking about? I just cut the grass. <laughs> and this is a classic example. You do stuff, and the guy thinks I did stuff that means I love you. And the woman's really relational. But beloved, like that, the church sometimes gets confused and thinks to advance the church is to build stuff and build buildings. But the guys are not building buildings. They're throwing out the gospel net to get fish. The the church consists of renewed people. I know it sounds silly, but it isn't silly. We care way more about stuff than people. Way more about stuff. And you know what's gonna happen to all our stuff? What's gonna happen to your stuff? The best stuff you have. When my mother died, my dad died, then my mother died. You know what I did with all her stuff? My sister said, you want it, I don't want it. And then I was there for a week longer than they were there, I put everything on the street corner. And you know what everybody did to the stuff? They descended like vultures. And then when there was more stuff than people wanted, I called goodwill. Or if you wait long enough, what's God going to do to all of our stuff? He's going to burn it. Beloved, if we really thought Jesus dies for people, the church consists of people, and we're, we're called to serve and minister to people. If we cared more about people, we wouldn't get so wrapped up. It's about souls. Are, are we as the church more concerned about our stuff, or are we more concerned about the fellow eternal souls of our fellow Christians, so it 's people? and the second thing our pa- the third thing our passage teaches us, which is related to that, is that the, the, the church consists of all kinds of different people. Look at the guys. look at these different, these names that we can't even pronounce these. Antioch, and Antioch, Syria, Antioch, uh, uh, Turkey, Pisidia, uh, Pergamum, they're they're going everywhere. Everywhere the gospel missionaries go, they evangelize all the people that God sends them to. I say this all the time. So as God's servants, he sends us out, and I'm a particular servant, but you're a particular servant. Don't pre-qualify who you should talk to Jesus for. If there's a humanoid in front of you and they can fog a mirror and the Holy Spirit wants you to tell them about Jesus open your mouth you don't have to preach a sermon just say you know I just I don't know do, do you know Jesus I love Jesus do, do you know anything about him don't pre-qualify well this person looks like me and sounds like me or he, this person totally there's a, that person has an accent and totally looks different are, are the gospel missionaries who are building up Christ Church are they going okay Let's see. Those people fit our category. We'll talk to them. We won't talk to the other guy over here. No, everybody. Everybody gets it. They go to a certain place and they preach the gospel of the cross to the Jews and some Jews believe and then Jews become members of the church. Then they go to all of these gentileish places and they tell all these Gentiles were are pagan worshipers, Jesus saves sinners, some people believe in Jesus and they're saved and those Gentiles get added to the church and here's the kicker. It's the same church. It's the same church. We're the called out ones. The church consists of people. And the church consists of different people. And in this particular um, book, what we've seen is, we've seen previously in Acts chapter 13, there was an Antioch in the church, prophets, teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, or the black, and, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and with Saul. He, he, here's the church. The various people. You have Jews from Jerusalem. You have Jews from Turkey. You have Jews from Syria or Cyprus was with Barnabas. Was, um, he was a Jew from Cyprus. Then you have Gentile believers uh, from Asia Minor. Then you have Gentile believers from Africa. And do they all have like separate churches? No. Nope. And there's not even like a section in the church for one kind of folk in the church sit up front and the other kind of folk in the church sit in the back or up top. It's the same church. Beloved, obviously, I'm talking about segregation. If there's any association of people on the planet that should not be segregated, racially, <laughs> financially, financially, it's the church. It's the church. Read James chapter, what is it, two? The poor folks were walking into the church and what were the rich folks saying? Hey, Schnook, sit down over there. And God the Holy Spirit says, oh, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. No. No, 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 no. So that means the slave is going to sit next to the master? Yep. And the boss and the employee? Yep. And the black and the white and the rich and the poor? Yep. Why? Because they're all members of the same Christ, which means they're members of the same church. That makes sense. But me, we look around and you think, wow, this is like a world gone nutty. This group hates that group and the church, the Christian church of the called out ones, we should be the one entity on the planet where human beings could see restored, renovated human beings. I know in a dim way, I know we still have this sin. We should be able to see brothers and sisters dwelling together in unity. This, of all of the communal associations on the planet, we should be, wow, look at black folk and loving white folks and rich folks loving poor. Look at this. That's us. Does that make sense? We see it clearly here. Clearly. Now, I do know there are guys that argue contrary-wise. I've watched them on YouTube and want to kick my TV in. But Jesus says this in John chapter 10 to Jewish believers. I am the good shepherd, I know my own, my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father. I lay down my life for sheep, uh, my sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will hear my voice. They will become one flock with one shepherd. Okay. Now, when I've been assuming this all along, with this called out one, there's another aspect of the church that I want us to see, and that's the church consists... Of the Christ-United Ones. We're called out by the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to come to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christ. The Church consists of the Christ-United Ones. That's why we're called Christians. Am I a Presbyterian? Yes. Am I Reformed? Yes, yes, yes. All of those hyphens, O-P-C, blah, 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 yes. And they can be helpful in and of their own place. But what's the preeminent marker that makes this a church? We're Christian. He purchased us. We belong to him. He belongs to us by covenant. It's a Christian church. So can you go to another kind of a church that's not Christian? Yes. But I have nothing to do with that. We're talking about Christian church. We are, we are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I say all the time, if there's not a lot of talk about Jesus Christ, you are in the wrong place, man. You're in the wrong place. Because preeminently what we are it is a collection of people that have been redeemed from our sins by Jesus. We are in Jesus. We're living in Jesus. We're living for the glory of Jesus. So the church consists of Christ-united ones. Now again, basically... I would ask people, and this again is not to pick on anybody, there are lots of people. I've been here January come 22 years. I cannot tell you how many church-going people I've ever talked to that I talk to them about Jesus and they look at me like I have five heads. Like, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. But tell me about you and Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Me and Jesus. No, 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 no. Tell me. You know, I do know, but you tell me. Our kids do this all the time. If you raise them in the church, you know your kid's going to get to you. He'll be 15, 16, look at you. He doesn't have a clue. We know what the answer is, but he or she doesn't know the, the answer. Are you united to Christ? Do you know Jesus? Really, savingly? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? I don't want to hear about your mother and father. Is he yours? Do you know? Are you united to him? This is a collection of people who say, he, he's mine. And then, related to that, this called out idea carries with it the notion of a separated one. Gerhardus Voss. Gerhardus Voss had a son, Johannes Gerhardus Voss. You know, Gerhardus Voss wrote a treatise, The Separated Life. It's from this. We're called out of sin, called away from Satan, called to Christ. It has the idea of consecration. The church consists of the consecrated one, the separated one. And I'm going to use a term. And the Holy One. I'm going to read something. The Apostle Paul picks this up. This is 2 Corinthians 6. I want everyone in the room to be thinking this about yourself. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. It, means you, it doesn't mean you can't work with them, it doesn't mean you can't have breakfast with them. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? What is a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We are the temple of the living God. Just as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Get ready. Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. I'll be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. And here here is an aspect of the church that I think the church needs to hear. And if I could stand on this pulpit, I would stand on it. We're holy. Holy Christ has died to save us, to make us holy. We should be a holy people. Do I know we still struggle with sin? Yes. But we, if you look at the church, the modern church, the lives of the adherents, are they markedly different than the the lives of the worldling? No. They cuss like the worldling, they watch filth on the internet like the worldling, they divorce like the worldling. They, they do everything like the worldling. That's not the church, beloved. That's not the church. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. We should be... Well, Pastor, you're going to say, I still have sin. So do I. But the question is, are, we are a body of people that wake up and say, I'm fighting against sin. I'm striving for righteousness. I want to be perfect. I want to be holy. Not to earn anything. An unholy Christian is an oxymoronic, oxymoron. An unholy minister is a tool of the devil. And you think, well, pastor, you're in a Puritan time warp. No, I'm not. The church is is to be holy, and we are to live holy. And another thing that we see is um, the church consists of people that are incorporated into the world. And what do I mean by that? Sometimes people hear all of the things that I've said and said, well, we need to get 50 acres out in, I don't know, Chamukla or J, and you should be the leader of our group in Chamukla. No thanks. No thanks. It never ends well on the commune. I'm against mona- the, the monastic movement. I'm against nunnery uh, for a number of reasons. One, there's no b- biblical propositions for it, and there's no biblical practice for it. And so there should be no other discussion, but people want to go beyond god's word and and then according to Christ's practice christ himself left heaven it's the opposite of monasticism and he came to live with sinners and then he sent his gospel errors out to 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 be missionaries it's the opposite of monasticism monasticism is not biblical both the desert kind and then the communal kind it's not biblical christ came to seek and to save sinners And Christ sends us out as the church to be that separated one but incorporated in the world to be salt and light. This is why if if we could live on a commune and take all of the Christians, then how are the people going to hear about Christ? How are we going to be salt and light? So the church has to be fully incorporated and these people are. There's Christians in Pergamum, there's Christians in Pisidia, and there's Christians in Antioch. And there's salt and light in these places. The Christian church is a separated body, but we're incorporated into that larger society in which we live. So this is why people say, oh, you can't have this kind of job. You, people can't have that kind of job. That's rot gut. Unless that job is expressly sinful, you, this is what, where God uses the church. You, if, you, if, you live in the, if you work in the academy, if you work here, this is where the church has to be incorporated into that society. And the last thing I, I two, second to last thing I want to say is this. I'll maybe talk about this at a future time. But you see with the establishment of elders in every church, it teaches us the general principle that, that the church, which is the kingdom of Christ upon the earth, it's a governed body. Sometimes you hear people say this. Well, I don't like organized religion. You ever heard people say that? What do they really mean when they say that? Uh, here, here's what they mean. I am an autonomous pain in the neck is what they really mean. That's what they mean. I don't listen to anybody. I'm a rebel. No one is going to tell me what to do. I do my own thing. That's what they mean. So when a person tells you I don't like organized religion, they're telling you that they're their own little Lord or God. And that's against the Bible. The Bible puts all human beings in three societies, family, church, and state, and we're under government, God's government. And so that... The, the reason people don't like organized religion is they don't want anyone telling them what's to do, what to do. That's a sin. That's called being a rebel. That's autonomous. In the American context, we are unique in this. Reverend Cho is, I'm, I'm helping Reverend Cho, and Reverend Cho's wife is helping us play the piano in the evening. And he was telling me something about the Korean context where he said in the Korean context, we serve, 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 serve. He says, sometimes it feels like Americans are like, it's just me and what I want, and it doesn't matter what you want. I'm like, well, that's pretty much spot on, Reverend Show. But that's not the church. That's not the church. The church is under the government of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so your home should be, and how we practice our state should be. But the church certainly is. And then you have these helper servants helping the other servants, these steward servants helping guiding these fellow servants for Christ's sake. So for the modern Christian to say, I'm a Christian, I have nothing to do with the church, you're sinning. You're sinning either in ignorance or with knowledge. It's sin to not be a part of a visible church, unless I know if you're providentially prohibited. But it's a sin. The Bible says, don't forsake the gathering together as some are accustomed to do. The Bible does say, submit to your leaders. You can't submit to your leaders if you don't have leaders. And God gives them. Again, I'm not making more and I'm not making less. But we come along and say, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. You're sinning. We have to be members under the government of Christ. And the last thing I want to say is this. And it's, it's from the English word for church. And I'm going to look at my notes because I'll butcher it. We get our English word um, for church from the Greek word koreakos. I'm, I'm getting that wrong. But the first part is Lord. And it means the people that belong to the Lord. Beloved, if you want to hear some good news as a believer... Even if you're going through hard times. You are God's people. You belong to the Lord. He belongs to you. You are his individually. And then we are his collectively. What a a gracious God we have. May May we live to his honor. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.